Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Kevin Bennett, and our guest today is Victoria Smalls. She's the Executive Director of the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor. Welcome to the podcast, Victoria. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you all. So tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, just how you came to this role. Well, some time ago, I used to describe myself as a Gullah Geechee girl. Mm -hmm. I'm a lady now, about 51 years old, and I am from St. Helena Island, and that's one of the Gullah Islands on the coast here in South Carolina. And how I came into this role is really living the Gullah Geechee life on our farm. We're, we're farmers. We work the land, the land. It's part of some Gullah language. And then living that lifestyle, really, I didn't know it was Gullah Geechee at that time. We were just living it. And then I went to schools in a Gullah community, which really helped me form, in a great way, my first language of Gullah. From there, going off to South Carolina State University, and then uh, to Technical College of the Low Country and University of South Carolina in Beaufort. I worked at a wonderful art gallery called the Red Piano 2 Art Gallery. And that's now the Gullah Geechee Visitor Center on St. Helena Island. And why I say that really was an amazing experience is because when you walk into this gallery, the culture just unfolds on the wall. It's floor-to-ceiling art of Gullah Geechee people. And you get to see the culture... Um, the memories of the artists just beautifully portrayed in the images on the wall. Even the sweet grass baskets, that iconic basket is really something that speaks to our culture in a very great way, historically and even today. From there, I went on to the Penn Center. Okay. And the Penn Center is going to be a site that was founded in 1862 as the first school in the South for freedmen. That's during the Civil War, where education, it was against the law to teach um, enslaved people and newly freed people that weren't even citizens yet right. how to read, write, and do math. And so this that was 1862, you 1862 said? 1862 was the founding right. of the school, and it lasted for about 86 years. My father was a graduate of that school. So that was really uh, also pretty foundational, my father's role in my life, um, helping to form you know, me. Then from there, I went on to the International African American Museum that's going to be finished being built in Charleston, South Carolina at the end of this year. I got to work on the Gullah Geechee exhibits that are there. I got to help raise money, um, start the charter membership program there. Um, Then I went back to Penn Center Thank goodness that I was invited back. I love that place. It feels like I'm in existence because of that sacred site. Mm. Then I was there for a year. Then I got invited to apply for a job with the National Park Service. I loved it. I've always been in awe 
of National Park Rangers. Their uniforms are really cool hats that stick out like a mile. You can see a park ranger almost a mile away because of their hat. And I saw them and was just amazed by their encyclopedic knowledge. Any question that you would ask them about their site, their park, they would expound on that and even more. So when I was invited to apply, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to <laughs> live up, live up to, to that, right? what I know to be about these amazing historians and scholars that are in uniform and are in service right. to America. And I was invited. I got the job at the Reconstruction Era National Historical Park. Mm-hmm. And where is that? That's in Beaufort County, Okay, where I was born and raised. I'm... My Our family is really a big part of the Reconstruction story. My second great-grandparents, Adam and Betsy Smalls, purchased 59 acres of land during the Civil War, wow. during some federal tax sales of abandoned land. This is in Beaufort County. In Beaufort County whereas after the war, um, newly freed people were going to have the opportunity to have that 40 acres and a mule. And historically, that is known as Sherman, Sherman Special Field Orders 15, where newly freed people are going to be relocated to the coastal areas of South Carolina and Georgia to farm, work the land to big towns, mm-hmm. be sustainable within keep, their families. And keep that economy and agriculture there going. There you go. Right. And then, um, but that was short-lived. Much of those lands were taken back and rescinded. There are very, very few, I want to say maybe 1% to 2% of people that still have their 40-acre land. That they got originally. Yeah, I met someone that has a deed. Most likely a former enslaver or plantation owner did not contest it or was not alive. Maybe they perished in the war or something like that and uh, didn't have the means to be able to contest that. Thank goodness that they still have their land, that they worked, their family worked and toiled on for hundreds of years. It's a shame it's only so small a percentage, though. It is a very small percentage. But in Beaufort County, you have thousands of people that purchased their land during the the Civil War, Mm -hmm. during those federal tax sales. Mm -hmm. Our family. So your grandparents? Yeah, Adam and Betsy Smalls, my second great-grandparents. I love saying their names because I feel like I'm giving them honor. They purchased the 59 acres, Mm. and we have about 20 of those acres in our family today. So that also helps me within this role that I play today. Mm. And then I was a park ranger only for 10 months. I planned on being a national park ranger, being a historian and interpreter until I was like 100. And because I saw this wonderful role model, Betty Soskin Reed, who was a national park ranger mm-hmm. at 100. And wow. she's still wow, that's a national park ranger. So that was my goal. But then I got a call mm-hmm. and, I, and they said to me, would you consider applying for the executive director position for the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor? And immediately my mouth formed, yes. (laughs) And I couldn't believe, I think it was coming from my heart. Right, right. And from my soul, actually. Right. And maybe Adam and Betsy was there telling me yes. And my father, who had already passed, who would have been 100 if he were living today. I think they were compelling me to say yes. Mm -hmm. 
And immediately I started feeling the full weight on my shoulders. Because previously I had been a federal commissioner appointed by the Secretary of the Interior to be a commissioner. All these different roles, even I worked within the school district, within, um, within early childhood education. All of these things really helped form me who I am today in this role, prepared me, writing grants, right. talking to donors. Right. All these experiences led up to this moment. Absolutely. Being able to talk about the beautiful uniqueness of this wonderful American culture, right. the Gullah Geechee culture. I love it. That's great. So what is this corridor? What, what mm. describe that for folks who may not know it exists? So the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor is a national heritage area of, made up of 27 counties, hmm. 12,000 square miles, stretching on our beautiful coast mm-hmm. from Jacksonville, North Carolina, the St. John's County, North okay. Carolina, down to Pender County, Florida, okay. to about St. Augustine. Wow. So it's a from large our, group. It is from yeah. our beautiful, beautiful coast to about 30 miles inland, but this is a governmental boundary. Okay. It's going to be where it's going to include that historical 40-acre um, allotments, that special field orders 15. Okay. From the war. Okay. Where we were supposed to relocate or we did relocate. And then so also, it's kind of coming back around to that. It's coming back around to that, but okay. then also, it's going to incorporate the amazing rice fields that are on our coast that stretch that entire span, twelve thousand square span. And rice is why we are Gullah Geechee today. So yeah, I've heard a lot about the rice, mm-hmm. and I believe mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling on myself, not memorizing all my prior podcast episodes, but we had a guest on that talked about the rice and mm-hmm. how when they brought enslaved peoples over, it was for that technology. It I was love the that. expertise and I the skill. I love that word, expertise. Because it really that really hit home to me. I was like, it wasn't, because I think people erroneously think of just physical labor as the mm-hmm. slaves, but it was that skill and that expertise, and they knew what to do, and we didn't, and so we stole it. And brought it yeah, over. Yeah, it was really important. Colonists here in America were trying to grow rice mm-hmm. because they realized the stretch of land was perfect for it. Right. Had the same subtropical climate as other rice growing regions in the world. And they tried several crops. And from my understanding and research, some of those crops failed. Yeah. And they wanted to bring in the experts. Right. And I had no idea growing up that the experts were in West Africa, mm-hmm. my people. Right. And I, I love that word, expertise, because it really talks about the ingenuity, the science behind hydrology, mm-hmm. and the scale that was needed to move trees, um, form unnatural lines and paths in the water. We, right. You know, nature makes these beautiful winding curves. Yeah. And our ancestors had to move land and sand and trees at the same scale, very same scale as it took to build the pyramids in Egypt. Mm-hmm. That sounds, that's astronomical. Right. And I, I'm, I'm just learning these things at about age 20, 
for the past 30 years, never knowing that as a child, never mm-hmm. being taught that in schools. And you're basically growing up where it all happened. And I'm growing up where it all happened. Right. I, When we would eat rice on our plate, I thought that came from Asia because that's what media shared with us. I was so proud to find out that the rice I was eating for breakfast, yes, breakfast, sometimes lunch, not much, but definitely always dinner. Mm-hmm. It's just that constant staple, right? It was the main staple. Mm-hmm. Um, you did not eat if you didn't have rice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a meal or a dinner if you didn't have rice on your plate. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge in my in my family with my mother being Irish, um, Scots-Irish, British Wales, German-American, marrying my gala father mm. when she would bring potatoes onto the plate, oh. which were delicious. Right. And my father's like, where's the rice? <laughs> right, right. Where's the rice? Right. And so, yeah, she had to, you know, make sure that she had the rice on a pl- on, on our plates. And when I think about rice for breakfast, you think about egg and rice, hmm. fried eggs and rice, which hmm. is very yummy. Mm-hmm. And my mom introduced us to cinnamon and rice mm. and butter and sugar. It's so tasty. I recommend you trying it. Mm-hmm. Is it like a rice pudding? My wife is no, big on rice pudding. No, it's not a cereal. Okay. Some people would put some cream or milk in it, Okay. but it's just rice grains, butter, sugar, and cinnamon. Hmm. Yum. Okay. Yum. And then, you know, tomato and okra gumbo with sausage and shrimp Mm -hmm. over a beautiful plate of rice or bowl of rice. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite thing to cook. Mm -hmm. And so every time I have rice now, I think about my ancestors toiling in the rice fields, which was very um, deadly work. Yeah. You have moccasins Mm -hmm. you have alligators Mm -hmm. you have malaria Mm -hmm. mosquitoes mosquitoes probably the most deadly of all of them yeah right and so the lifespan of rice growers during enslavement is going to be short right then i had the opportunity to head over to west africa to sierra leone sweet salone Mm -hmm. and we were going from village to village and one day we um, pull, saw some rice fields. Well, you saw rice fields throughout Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. However, there was one field that had rice harvesters in the field. Mm. And I said, we have to stop. Now, mind you, we were on a time schedule and had to get from point A to point B to point C. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we have to stop. We're going to stop. <laughs> so our tour bus driver van driver pulled over the other vans pulled over like what's the emergency i said there's a rice field and we have our beautiful people in the field can we go down in the field i don't i didn't know what we were getting into you had to descend down into this rice field yeah because they're low because of the water right and the water and there wasn't water in it but it was um like a marsh Mm -hmm. and very deep and wet and their grains, you had already seen where they had harvested and and taken a machete and, and cut um, where they cut the tops of the grain mm-hmm. off to ready to get to process it and mm-hmm. get it ready. And they came over to greet us, and we asked if we could have some rice. Now, 
um, they gave us this big old, but they gave me a big old bundle of rice. I felt like I was Miss Universe with the bouquet of roses in my right. hand but it was because rice. it was so beautiful. It was Sierra Leonean rice. Right. And what is so troubling is that some of the people in Sierra Leone can't even afford to eat the very rice that they grow. Mm-hmm. And it is so very healthy for them. Mm-hmm. And they have to rely on imported rice. Mm. And and it's really kind of sad. Not everyone is in that state, but many mm-hmm. are there in that state. And it kind of saddens me that, and it made me feel a little guilty that they were giving us this bouquet of rice and what it means to them. Right, you know? right, right. And, but it was so beautiful. I said, these are our people. Mm-hmm. These, this is why we are in America. Our ancestors were brought from this rice-growing region. Right there in Africa. Yeah. And my ancestors are going to be coming from about 11 countries. I can name a few. Mm-hmm. All of them are rice-growing areas and brought to through Charleston, most likely through the right. port of Charleston. Right. Because about 80, 89% of us in America who are African-American and have their history tied to enslavement can have at least one ancestor that came through the port of Charleston. Right. That really ties us all together. Yeah, yeah, right here, kind of right in our backyard. It is. Yeah. And that and that's interesting, that through line of the rice, you know, that, that's how they, you know, developed that technology in Africa. Right. And then we discovered it. And, of course, we're like, oh, we need that for ourselves. It brought mm-hmm. it over. Mm-hmm. But by doing so, we kind of transplanted that culture as well. Yeah. And that's what I understand is the Gullah Geechee culture, right? It it's is. that transplanted culture. It's a beautiful melding of many, mm-hmm. many West African tribal cultures. You think about the religious and spiritual practices mm-hmm. of these people, of our people, and the languages involved, the customs mm-hmm. and traditions in each village and tribe. You have Igbo, Mende, Fula, um, Gola. It goes on. There's so many tribal people that are melding together. Right, by force. Right? Yes, right. yeah. And we are all benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. And we, our language, and even though you don't hear me, you're not hearing me speaking my first language right now. So I'm a little saddened by that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to gain my fluency back. I can speak a little bit. I can read it. Mm. I can translate it. I mm-hmm. translated it for movies, for authors, to include some gullo within their their works. Their yeah. works. Okay. So I can do that, but I want to become fluent again. I want English to be my second language so again. You, so you grew up speaking Gullah? I grew that, up speaking okay. Gullah, my first language. Because that was your community and your Exactly. Okay. Being on St. Helena Island okay. in a fishing and farming community, like most Gullah communities during that time mm-hmm. and before that, are going to be fishing and farming self-reliant um, mm-hmm. communities. And you would only really go to a general store um, in a in a multicultural area out of necessity. And we were able to keep, especially in St. Helena, we were in many islands that were isolated, that didn't have bridges, that um, came together as a community, a tight-knit community. They're going to hold on to their culture in a way like I have 
not seen in America. Because in America, when you come here, each generation you get Americanized, you can lose a little bit of your culture. And we have lost a great deal, of course. But the amount that we've held on to is miraculous, um, especially with what happened to us during enslavement. And the spirituality, um, the making of our language, the forming of our language, the food ways, the arts, the crafts, the sciences, um, and the spiritual practices. And so those are all ways that you guys were able to codify and hold on to that various yeah. culture. I think about St. Helena being in this place that didn't have a bridge, that during enslavement, there were absentee enslavers, plantation owners. Because of that, they also had Gullah men who were the overseers and task masters that were trusted by the enslaver. We were able to keep a lot of our Africanisms intact. Because they allowed for things to happen that otherwise may not have. Absolutely. Right? And even though there was order kept on the plantation, on that site of enslavement, we were able to still hold on to those cultural deep, deep roots. And it was almost like an incubator protecting a baby. Lots of protections. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just St. Helena Island. It's going to be Sapelo Island, St. Simon's Island. Mm -hmm. Um, Cumberland Island, Eagles Island in mm -hmm. North Carolina. So all the way up and down the coast, there were these communities that were absolutely just kind Wadmala. of by chance isolated, Ab right? Absolutely, right. Wadmala Island, St. John's, St. John's Island. It goes on and on. There's so many sea islands, but the culture doesn't just stop on the sea islands. It goes in to the mainland, in the coastal areas, when you can come together as a community still today. Even with me, when I get with my family mm -hmm. and my community members, my language starts to come out more. And I love that so much. So to put you on the spot, can mm -hmm. you say something in Gala so we can yeah. hear this language that... Absolutely. So I want to say, I gladi, I gladi fasi ona dede, ho fasi ona soon. I gladi... Fasi una today, ho fasi una soon. What do you think that I said? Oh, I'm terrible at languages. I gladi. What is I gladi? Probably sound, it sounds like you're happy about something. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. Right. Okay. Fasi. To see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fasi una. You. Yeah. All right. See. Today. Right. Today. today. So glad to see you today. Today. Okay. Yeah. That's ho great. Ho fasi. Ho Hope to see? Yes. Okay. We put it all together and sing it. Hope to see you soon. Hope to see you soon? I love it. Maybe. You're, okay. You know what? You almost, you're, you're, you're like going to be an honorary Gullah Geechee <laughs> man. <laughs> I will wear that proudly. Yeah. And so let me say something, you know, you might recognize them. Let's see if you recognize this. Okay. We Papa in heaven, let everybody honor your name because you're the holy. We pray that soon you go rule over all of we. Let's be ting you want in this world. Let him be here in this world like a be there in heaven. Give we the food we need this day, yeah, and every day. Forget the bad thing we to do, because we forget them to do bad to we. What do you think I'm saying? That was the Lord's Prayer. That right? was the Lord's yeah. Prayer. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. That's gorgeous, though. That's a. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. That's I got cool. goosebumps. Oh, good. I just. I'm glad I'm you just, recognize that. I'm just sitting that. here. Yeah. Now, when I was younger, you may have picked out. Maybe three words. 
Okay. You may have picked out three words that I would have said in all of that mm-hmm. because I would have said it so fast. Oh, okay. So fast and um, so deep in my accent. Mm-hmm. I'm number 13 of 14 children. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had the deepest Gullah accent out of all of them. Okay. Now, one thing about my family, I have white siblings from my mother's first marriage. Okay. I have all Gullah black siblings from our father's first marriage. Okay. And then there's four biracial. Oh, interesting. All of us grew up on the farm. Which is kind of a, Saint mi- Helena. It's a microcosm of the culture, right? It's like the Brady Bunch, right? Right. right. It's, and it's really, you're right, a microcosm of actually what Gullah Geechee people also are because you do have admixture within our people, mm-hmm. especially after the triangular slave trade is over. Mm-hmm. Um, there were still people being smuggled in after 1861. Four, yeah, of course. After 1863. Right. And after 1865 to the Sea Islands. Absolutely, yeah. That doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah. However, you also had the domestic slave trade where you had breeding plantations. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be seen in records when you go to a site of enslavement and you see a roster, a listing of our people, mainly being 80% women 14 to 40 years old. Mm. An adult can read between the lines and understand what that means. Mm-hmm. So they're giving birth and then... You're giving birth and to yeah. help supply the domestic slave trade. Right. And, and those were often also sometimes sired by the plantation owners, correct? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so that's where the admixture comes in. Right. When we do our ancestry, it may be very little admixture, mm-hmm. very little. Um, there are some that have more than they realized right. they had. Right. Me having a mother that's European, American, I have a lot more. Right. Um, I'm, my ancestry, my African ancestry comes from Senegal. Guinea-Bissau, Guinea, Mali, Sierra Leone, Cote d'Ivoire, Congo, okay. Benin. And you've been able to track back to this Yes, folks. That's I go ama- on. I want to go on. Yeah. Nigeria, yeah. Cameroon. I'm forgetting a few. But that speaks to the Gala people, all of these meldings of all these mm-hmm. cultures. We're going to stop in Barbados before coming here. Mm. There's a very strong connection between Barbados and South Carolina. Hmm. And when... Because it was kind of the through point. It was the through point, but then also a place where after enslavement, the domestic slave trade is taking place um, a certain period, they're going to, enslavers are going to move some of their people to Barbados Hmm. and vice versa. You're going to see this trade happening um, I don't know all of the history. I'm still learning the connection or the Barbados and Carolina connection. Hmm. I'm planning a trip to learn more there, to do research there. That would be interesting, yeah. And so in your role as executive director of the Corridor, you're, it sounds like you're trying to bring back some of this history, connect some of this history, educate history, and preserve the history. Kind of all wrapped up in the one, am I? You're so right about that. Okay. What we do, our goal is to educate, sustain, and uplift the mm-hmm. Galagichi people in our communities and to educate the general public about this beautiful culture, 
really instill a sense of pride in our youth Mm. and our elders who for a long time felt ashamed of being Geechee and being called Geechee when I was young in the 70s, if you called me Geechee, unfortunately, those would be fighting words. Mm. And I would get so angry because you thought that I was less than you, that I was uneducated because I spoke Gullah. I see. Right. Because we weren't many people, even though this language had been discovered by Lorenzo Dow Turner, a linguist who was at South Carolina State in a classroom and heard a Charlestonian Hmm. young lady speak her language. And he stopped in his tracks. He was like, where are you from? And take me to your home. Right. That's interesting. Because he could hear the beautiful culture, some deep cultural roots just melodically flowing from her lips and her mouth. Right. And wanted to know where she came from. That's great. So this... What we're doing within the Gullah Geechee Corridor in our commission is to really instill that great sense of pride among our people and educate and uplift and sustain. And we do that through programming, mm-hmm. educational programming like this podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Like going into our schools, our K-12 through schools and our institutes for higher learning. Mm-hmm. Which is where you're going right after this, I understand. Yeah, I get right? to go. I'm here in Columbia. I get to stay in Columbia today and go yeah. to Richland Northeast High School. And I was invited to come to speak to high school students about this culture and this language mm-hmm. that they may know nothing about. Yeah. I would not be surprised because, yeah. you know, you said earlier about you were learning at age 20 about your culture. I'm, how old am I? In my 40s. Yeah. Learning past yeah. couple of years for the first time, really, what this Isn't culture is. Isn't that something? Is. There's yeah. a whole other language in America mm-hmm. and culture that is also you know, tied to Native American indigenous people, Mm. our Native indigenous people. And there's some things there. Um, They're the black Seminoles, Mm. the Seminole people that um, aligned with Gullah Geechee people. When we had freedom seekers during enslavement, they would sometimes go into tribal nations here. For protection and mm-hmm. freedom. That's interesting. And yeah. the Seminoles were ones that um, allowed that. I'm not sure about all of them. I also have native ancestry of oh, Cherokee. Wow. Interesting. And that's yeah. North Carolina area-ish, right? It's also, um, at, at certain points, it encompassed more, right, obviously. of course. Right. A lot larger region than just what we know of today. Right. I like to say, Dere, Dere, Gala. So when sometimes I talk, you'll hear the Gala come out, mm-hmm. and we take off the TH and do a D. So for the, that, they, and them, we say, da, that, they, and them. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it may come out when I, no, I speak. That's wonderful. So I'm not speaking improper English. It's just the Gullah girl coming out. It's your native language coming yeah. out. Right. So yeah, we found out through our and ancestral DNA that we have all these beautiful countries we're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, it has my mother's ancestry there as well, mm. which is still very important to our family and me. Mm-hmm. And then we also have this native culture that I need to learn about. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. And I've, from what I understand, the, the ancestry piece is very difficult for 
people with enslaved ancestors. It is extremely difficult. There's so many gaps missing. Right. I even argue abysses mm-hmm. of information missing. Uh, about three years ago, I, we only knew our first great-grandparents' names and their siblings wow. because they were written in our family Bible. Right, and that's just a few generations back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the only names that we knew. Right. And then one of my best friends, Kimberly Morgan, she works for Dr. Henry Louis Gates's Finding Your Roots mm, okay, yeah. on PBS. Mm-hmm. And before she started working for them, she gifted me with finding our family roots. Oh, wow. And found this amazing document, this Freedman's Bank application hmm. that listed Adam and Betsy Smalls as my second great-grandparents. And that document dated February 9, 1869. I can see it clear as day. Right. And that's an amazing find right there. And it lists where he was born, where he was from, um, who he worked, what his occupation was, farming, who he worked for, who he worked for, he stated himself on his own land. Mm, that's great. Whoa. Yeah. I have this wash of goosebumps just all over me. I feel like that's my ancestors saying thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. And Adam and Betsy purchased 59 acres of land. They were putting money in the bank at the Freedmen's Bank in Beaufort. Because at this time, slavery is over, and they were growing sea island cotton. Uh, that was another cash crop Gullagichi people grew, along with indigo. Right, indigo, yeah. And there were, you know, sustainable crops for sustenance for, you know, people in the communities. And it goes down, and it lists his mother, Afi. Oh, wow. A very familiar name to enslaved women, hmm. Afi. And his father's name was Sancho. Oh, wow. Had I known when I had my son mm. 29 years ago, I would have named him Sancho Smalls. He has now taken on that name. Right. He calls himself Sancho Smalls now. That's such a great name. It is. And then it lists his children, mm. daughters and sons. And at the very bottom, he makes his mark with an X. Hmm. He cannot read. All right, the bank registrar is filling so out this filling application out. for him. Gotcha. But he owns 59 acres of land, and he's putting money in the bank. Yeah. What else could you need, right? This is amazing. So this is also part of what we do within the Gullah Geechee Corridor Commission, mm-hmm. is that we do genealogy workshops, oh, and wow. we partner with organizations like the International African American Museum, mm. like, of course, our major partner is the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. We partner with all of the parks within our corridor, and if there are any parks outside of the corridor that speak to Gullah Geechee and African-American experiences here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we love to partner. We partner with other organizations on heirs' property and land rights for Gullah Geechee people. Oh, kind of that legal side of it. Yeah. Because the documentation, I'm sure, is questionable it's, di- it's difficult because right. you also need the genealogy research to identify the heirs right that makes so sense. you have multiple heirs right and with each generation you bring more heirs to that right. property right and so it's very important to identify them and when you have these missing these voids these gaps of missing information in your lineage it's very hard mm-hmm. and 
heartbreaking Mm -hmm. because I remember feeling that sense of heartbreak. I was in the fifth grade and we needed to fill out our family tree as a project. And you could only do so much. I only could do my first great grandparents and maybe some of their siblings. I cannot go back to what I know now. My fourth great grandparents, you have 32 fourth great grandparents. My father has 16. Mm -hmm. I only know two names. Mm. I have to call their names Mm -hmm. Venus and Taff. Wow, that's great. And they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So the Gullah Geechee Corridor, we do things like that. And trying to to name those missing spots and fill in those gaps. And it's very empowering to find out who you are, who are your people, where you come from. And when you do the genealogy DNA, Mm-hmm. That helps to fill in a portion on the other side mm-hmm. when people do not know what vessel brought them here. Right. If they survived. Right. Because half of the people that were packed and jammed into those slave vessels were gone in that middle passage before they hit a, a Sullivan's Island mm-hmm. where you had the pestilence houses, where you had to prove if your cargo, quote unquote. Right if our people were disease-free, and you know all of them are going to be suffering from diseases. Yeah, just from the brutal conditions, right? Yeah, Yeah. the brutality, yeah. And so you had to be there for a certain period of time to quarantine. Mm -hmm. We know a lot about that today. (laughs) We sure do, right. Quarantine, and then you can be brought to the mainland of Charleston to wait again Mm -hmm. in a warehouse. Mm Mm-hmm like at Gadsden's Wharf in Charleston, where maybe 400, even actually 700 people can be jammed into a warehouse and then be subjected to temperatures that are either summer in South Carolina, brutal, subtropical, brutal, or very cold in the winter and a February, which can get down where we have experienced the teens. Right, right. And so you have people that'll perish there. Yeah. And then you have the ones that have to go through the enslavement and that brutality mm-hmm. and then go through reconstruction and then go through civil rights. So we are the survivors of the survivors of the survivors of the survivors. And I can go on and on right, to right. me being here today and being a very proud Gullah Geechee woman right. serving in this remarkable capacity where I can talk about Gullah Geechee all day mm-hmm. and it not feel like work. Yeah, and it sounds like a trade-off between that preservation but also that restoration of the identity. I love that. I really love that. Now we have young people talking about Gullah Geechee on their terms. Right. So on this podcast and, you know, just around the U.S. now, people are talking more and more about kind of the shortcomings in rural areas. You know, Mm. what, what they lack, what they need, those kinds of things. But I'm curious from what you've seen, especially in your corridor and the, those communities, what, what is good about rural? Oh, what is good about rural? Farms. Because you wouldn't have food mm-hmm. without our farms. Mm-hmm. The way of life that is connected to working the land. Mm. We call it work the land. Mm. Farming is work the land. Fishing is living off the sea, mm. off the water, actually, mm. living off the water. And rural areas are calm, slow. Mm -hmm. People know that as they're going through our roads, they're like, why are you going so slow? Yeah. 
the sense of community where we take care of one another. Mm. When I was growing up, we had we had 20 acres of land that we farmed, and we not only harvested our crops for our sustenance, mm-hmm. but for the elders that could no longer work the land. Mm-hmm. And my dad set such a powerful example on putting us in the station wagon, putting the crops in there, the harvest in there, mm-hmm. and dropping off bags to the ones that could no longer right. do that or just wanted it. Yeah. Because we had the best watermelon. Oh, we had the best peanuts. We had the mm. best sugar cane. We had the best honeydew mm-hmm. and okra. Yeah. And so in, And in return, your neighbors would benefit. give in kind as well. Maybe, yeah, absolutely. Make from the corn, mm-hmm. make some grits from the corn. You know, I didn't know grits came, corn, came from corn. Right. But the wonderful sense of community and the give and take, the ebb and flow of when it's necessary to do that and appropriate to do that, the caring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. That's wonderful. So, and I'm also curious if someone from New York, if you're in New York, for example, and traveling and they ask you, well, what is what is rural? What does rural South Carolina look like? How would you describe it to them? How would you define it for them? Well, in the Gullah Geechee Corridor, rural looks like beautiful waterways, hmm. marsh grass, sweet grass that are growing, our biodiversity where we are responsible to the land, nature, and our people. Going over the beautiful bridges and waterways is just like none other um the beautiful people are welcoming and the culture that comes from the people you fall in love with the landscape and then you fall in love with the people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that makes sense that's beautiful so thank you very much for joining us today this has been great and very informative and i loved hearing just everything that you said i think this is this has been wonderful so for more information on victoria and the work that she's doing please uh, check our show notes we'll have links there for you to check out and please stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon Uh, if you like what you've heard please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating nothing else will work and if you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear on our program let us know we'd love to hear from you and that's all for today Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen so that others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at scruralhealth.org or find us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. Y'all take care.